continuing in note um, seven, which is on page 46, so just to review what it is that we're talking about. So what we had mentioned before is the idea that one of the names of God is the harmonizer of opposites, right? Because his love provides matter and energy for the world to function, while his justice sets limits, goals, and boundaries, okay? So that is what Rev Hirsch explained. And now in the footnote, you're going to explain what this means, harmonizer of opposites, okay? So yesterday, what we had started off this paragraph about describing the idea that God is creates both good and evil, so to speak, both light and darkness, that Rav Hirsch took the approach that everything comes from God's creation. The third paragraph, you know, let's start again from the beginning of note seven, because it's an important one, and I think it's important to get it again in the context. So harmonizer of opposites, this is a translator of Hashem Tzivaot. God is the master of hosts, of the infinite variety of things created, and he unites them to act and interact as parts of one single unified world. Rabbi Shamshun Rafal Hirsch lists as contending forces, light and darkness, life and death, love and justice. Light and darkness are aspects of nature, but they are also symbolic of blessing and suffering, and indeed of good and evil, both of which are servants of God, shaping the path of the world towards its ultimate goal, albeit in very different ways, right? That both of these things play a purpose and play a specific role in how we are supposed to actually meet and fulfill our ultimate purpose in creation, but in very different ways. In turn, good and evil are directly related to life and death and to love and justice. The latter are two basic modes of divine action. We see them operating in the outpouring of blessings upon the righteous and the exacting of strict justice from the sinner. But they have a much more general function in God's universe, representing the two fundamental spirot, right, the categories of action, perhaps the spheres through which God influences the world, through which he interacts with the world. They, what are these two fundamental spirot? Chesed, loving kindness, gvura, strict judgment, which jointly govern the functioning of our world and whose roles, interaction, and inner unity are a central element in Rabbi Shamshun Rafal Hirsch's writings. Okay. Up until there is what we actually read yesterday. In view of Rabbi Shamshin Rafal Hirsch's own statement that he considered himself unlearned in Kabbalah, it would be tempting to assume that in writing about loving kindness and justice, he was not referring to the two spirot. And so it's important to recognize that we have different vocabularies and different terminologies that are used in different elements of Torah understanding. Right? There's a famous concept which is called pardes, which means that we can look at the world on four different planes, so to speak. And specifically when it comes to the writings of the Torah, we can understand them on four different planes. One plane is the pay, pardes is an acronym. So the pay stands for pshat, the simple understanding, right? That's the world as we see it, right? Then there is the remes, which is the hints. So when we're referring to the Torah itself, what we are referring to is the hints that are meant to be understood from the words of the written Torah. Then we have the drash. Drash is the dalit of pardes, and it, it means the, to search deep, right? To look into the deeper meaning, the deeper understanding. And then we have the final, the final letter, which is sama, and it stands for sod or secret, which means the ways in which we understand on a level that is impossible to recognize empirically, 
it is only possible to understand that because of the fact that God revealed these ways to some of the sages, and they revealed it down and down and down until it was written down, right? So when we talk about the word of loving kindness, right? We can say that on a very simple level, right? to be kind to someone else. That, and the fact that God created the world is called we can also try to understand that in this concept of the Kabbalah, where there are these pathways through which God interacts with the world that when he chooses to interact with the world in a loving kindness sort of way, whether it is the entire world globally or whether it is individuals within this world, he opens up these pathways, right? These shvilim, right? Through which he can interact with the world and allow his loving kindness to interact and to, uh, to uh, have an effect in this world. Now, so Rabbi Samson Hirsch claims that he is unlearned in Kabbalah. So in theory, when he's writing about the idea of loving kindness and justice, we can say he's not really talking about the spirit concept, the idea of like these pathways that are open. He's referring to the fact that when the interactions that God seems to be having with the world seem to be of the kindness, that's called loving kindness. He's doing things which we perceive to be good. And when he's doing things which we perceive to be not as good or strict, then that seems to be in the concept of justice. However, we do know that he used the Zohar in preparing his works. Indeed, he did use the, the seminal work of Kabbalah. And in this particular instance, the comprehensive interpretation which he gives to the two categories makes the connection of the two spirot unavoidable. Even though Rabbi Shamshin Rafael Hirsch avoided spelling out Kabbalistic concepts in his writings, right? Presumably, because that's not something that would have been so acceptable or the people of that time probably would not have found it too rational and it would have probably thrown people off. So therefore he, he stayed away from actually discussing it explicitly but conceptually, that's really what he's dealing with here. God's loving kindness, according to Rabbi Shamshin of Al-Hirsh, is the basic motive and force characterizing creation. Indeed, as explained by Rabbi Moshe Chaim Mutsato in the Derech Hashem, The Way of God, which was a different book that we were considering reading, God created the world only in order to do loving kindness, right? We, we say in, in Tehillim, Olam Chesed Yibaneh. Right, God created a world of kindness, which can also be understood as God created a world so as to be kind, to give to us. Thus, it is natural that the entire process of creation is a process of giving, of providing creatures with all that they need to come into existence, to function and to achieve their ideal purpose. But it is necessary in order for this process of creation to be effective, that there also be set limits to the proliferation of blessings that we call chesed. Okay, so if the chesed will be without any limit at all, and without any boundaries at all, that would create issues, right? So they have to be boundaries. There have to be limitations, restrictions. These boundaries are determined by the quality of gevura, which we said is judgment, which decides what is appropriate and what will be excessive and overwhelming, right? So we can ask like a, a question in theory, why is it that God created a world in this way? The fact of the matter is what we understand is that God did create a world in which unmitigated blessing without any boundaries at all would not work with our finely calibrated system that we have in place, right? Where we are, we have our soul, we have our body, we're trying to do free will, we're trying to try to do the right thing, we're trying to be, the Yetzirah is trying to influence us not to do the right thing, and we're trying to do the right thing. In that system, if there would be unrestricted blessing, unrestricted loving kindness, it would take away from that ability. Why did God have to create a world like that? 
that's already a question that's almost a not fair question to ask, right? The fact of the matter is this is the world that God created. These qualities were involved in the very process of creation, but they continued to operate in the world. Moreover, as letter four will stress, the course of creation and its perfection have been put in the charge of man. This is something that Rehersh speaks about time and time again, right? I'll, I'll let, I'll let Re Rabbi Elias explain. Who is to use his free will to shape himself and the world according to God's will, and thereby attain his ultimate goal and good, closeness to God, okay? So God created the world, but then kind of took a step back and left man to carry on the creation. Thus, man is the primary recipient of divine chesed to help him in this task. If, however, he received God's blessings indiscriminately, irrespective of what use he made of them, God's desired end result will not be attained. In the first place, blessings that are not earned and deserved do not really provide satisfaction, right? As I like to say, these are called participation trophies, right? When you get something that you didn't deserve, it's a participation trophy, it doesn't feel good at all. Furthermore, they would likely be misused and the misuser would continue to indulge with impunity. Therefore, here too, the quality of Gevura has to set limits and make sure that justice is done and that the sinner does not receive equal favor with the righteous. The Vilna Gaon, right? So the famous Rabbi Elijah Kramer, or Leo Kramer, who lived in the 1700s and was a tremendous, tremendous Torah scholar and is known as the Vilna Gaon, which means the brilliant one from the town of Vilna in Lithuania. On Ruth 1.1, explains that the divine names Havaya, right, which is one of God's names, and a name Shaddai, express the two divine modes of operation. By the way, we don't say those names unless we're actually learning Torah or, uh, you know, or Davani, right? So these are names of Hashem and names of Hashem that express different aspects, different manifestations of God's presence in this world. So the first name, the Hey Vav Yud Hey, is the name through which God gives and gives and gives and gives. That's loving kindness. That's chesed in body. Right? The second name, Shin Dalad Yud, if you actually think about it, Dalad Yud, in Hebrew, dai means enough, right? Means setting limits. So that name refers to the element of when God is operating in this world in a way that sets limits, right? We've discussed this previously, but I think it's an important point to reiterate. The different names for God are always referring to different aspects and different manifestations of God as we perceive them in this world. To perceive God's true essence, we cannot even come close to perceiving. What we can do is we can perceive the way in which God is interacting with the world at any given time, and we can use different names to describe that aspect. 